0: Announcements this weekend today at 6 p.m. in the St. Ambrose Center. Uh, all young adults of St. Monica Parish are invited to an evening of praying Lexio Divina and reflecting on how God personally pursues each one of us through His sacred word. Uh, the group will then go out for dinner and fellowship and discussion uh, about the future planning of the young adults' community. That's this evening at 6 p.m. in the St. Ambrose Center. <coughs> All men of the parish are invited to our annual stogies and suds evening on July 29th from 7 to 10 p.m. outside the parish hall. Come and enjoy a casual evening of fellowship, cigars, and beer with other men of the parish. You're asked to please RSVP for this event through a flock note that will be sent via email this week, or you can call the parish office to sign up. We sent out a couple of emails to you this week. If you did not receive those, uh, that's a good indication that we need you to contact the office right away to update uh, your contact information and email address. Uh, One of those communications announced that this fall, uh, the St. John Bosco Institute School, which is a classical curriculum school for boys, will be moving to our campus and we hope that this move will be a place Uh, where the school can continue to grow and expand and even to include girls' enrollment, hopefully, uh, as early as next fall. Uh, If you might like to learn more about the curriculum, the headmaster of the school will lead an information session for St. Monica Parents on Sunday, July 31st at 9 a.m. in the St. Ambrose Center. The book of Deuteronomy, from which comes today's first reading, chronicles the desert wanderings of God's people. God had drawn near to them and given them his law, but they had disobeyed. And so in punishment, they are made to wander in the desert. That wandering was a punishment for a rebellious generation who would not be permitted to enter the promised land. And the wandering was also a preparation for the next generation to be ready to be obedient and to be identified by adherence to God's law. Thus, as the punishment comes to an end and a new generation of God's people is ready to cross into the promised land, Moses restates God's law to them a second time. Moses restates God's law because the next generation must understand that to belong to God and to be his people is to be marked by the way of life of his commands. Moses tells the people, as we heard in today's first reading, that God's ways are not too mysterious or remote for them. In other words, God has come near. His ways and commands are in accord with our well-being. His ways are made for us and for our good. Fast forward centuries when Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what the Lord means. His ways are not harmful to us. Just like a yoke must be crafted well to guide an ox without causing friction and physical harm, so God's ways are made for us. In today's passage from Deuteronomy, Moses is telling the people that moral living according to God's ways is not too complicated. It can be understood and grasped by us. Yet, it can feel difficult to obey God's commands, right? Certainly, most likely, every one of us knows some area of life that is a struggle, some moral difficulty that we seem to constantly be battling with. This common human experience is due to our fallen nature, that giving up our disobedient and rebellious ways and conforming ourselves to God's ways is challenging, is not a sign that God's ways are too remote for us, rather it is a sign that our fallen nature deceives us and makes us inclined to choose what is the easiest path for us, the the one that seems lucrative, or satisfying, or fulfilling, or simply the path that requires less effort and work. In our time, the awareness and acceptance is disintegrating of a common natural moral law that unites all of us who share one human nature, because we come from the same creator and origin, of moral law. And thus it can seem somehow as if God's commands really are remote and mysterious or too far out of our reach. Just as a physical muscle weakens and atrophies from lack of use, so our moral muscle weakens and atrophies when we refuse discipline and choose to be complacent about sin in our lives. If we are not actively seeking to convert and change sinful patterns in our lives, then not only do we tend to fall to sin more regularly, but in time, even our very ability to grasp moral truth becomes more and more clouded. And as this process transpires, we replace the moral authority of God expressed in nature and in revelation with something else, something that seems more within our reach. And what is that? Well, often it is ourselves. We often choose ourselves as the authority and the reference point for morality. Our ways, the ways of our fallen nature, seem nearer and easier to grasp. And many a person does grasp at that. And when you consider the number of human beings on the planet, you can see just how quickly a common morality disintegrates and it divides, atomizing into multiple and competing moral authorities, resulting in that the only thing left is I'm the moral authority, my way, what makes sense to me. There is sickness in fallen humanity a sickness that can grasp each of us and lead us to place ourselves at the center of moral authority. Now, that is not the happiest of messages, but it is important to grasp as a foundational truth of our human struggle in this valley of tears, as we call it in the Salve Regina. Another way to say this is that we cannot really adequately grasp and appreciate the good news, the doctrine of grace and redemption and the call to conversion if we do not first acknowledge the foundation of original sin. You and I are sinners, but we are loved by God and called to life with him. We need medicine and a physician, and we need to cooperate with the ways the Lord offers to heal us. Now, there is an obvious ethical lesson in today's gospel parable of the Good Samaritan. It is a call to love one's neighbor. And love is not only words, but also deeds. Yet, for my purposes today, I want to draw your attention to an interesting interpretation among several church fathers going back to the second century, by which the parable was seen to have also an allegorical value in that the good Samaritan was seen to represent Jesus. And the man who fell victim to robbers represents humanity suffering under sin. For example, St. Irenaeus says that human nature had fallen in with robbers, But he, the Lord, had pity on it and bound its wounds. Origen writes, The man in the story who was going down is Adam. The Samaritan is Christ. He carries the half-dead man and brings him to the church. St. Augustine, son of our parish patroness, writes, The whole human race, you see, is that man who is lying in the road, left there by bandits half-dead, who was ignored by the passing priest and Levite, while the passing Samaritan stopped by him to take care of him and help him. In this Samaritan, the Lord Jesus Christ wanted us to understand himself. And St. Augustine adds, Robbers have left you half-dead on the road but you've been found lying there by the passing and kindly Samaritan. Wine and oil have been poured into you. You have received the sacrament of the only begotten Son. You have been lifted on his mule. You have believed that Christ became flesh. You have been brought to the inn. You are being cured in the church. End quote. There is a sickness in our fallen human nature. God's commands are part of the medicine, and his ways we hear today are not too far or mysterious. But if we are not careful and disciplined in conversion, not only do we fail by sin, but soon even our ability to see the truth of morality is clouded and seems far and farther away. Jesus, the Good Samaritan, is himself the measure of what our charity should be. And I say this as a preface and warning for some of the abundant sickness that we see in our world today. We have to be on guard lest we become our own worst enemy, sinking to the lowest common moral denominator. I hope this doesn't seem unfair to use an exam- as an example, but a recent trip to California gave me some vivid Im- it's kind of a cheap shot, I know, California low-hanging fruit, certainly. <laughs> but it's all true. A recent trip to California gave me some vivid images of what is possible in our sick humanity when man replaces the common moral law from God with man's own desires. On the day the Supreme Court decision overturning the Roe vs. Wade abortion decision was released, I was on a plane bound for a conference in the San Francisco Bay Area. (laughs) Talk about flying into the mouth of the lion. (laughs) As I learned of the news on the plane, I thought, this is going to be a really interesting place to wear my priest collar. (laughs) Out there in the Bay Area, it was not uncommon to see handmade posters in the windows of houses with the message, shame on SCOTUS. One piece of spray painted graffiti read, abortion is good, abolish guns. Driving along one highway, some protesters had assembled on an overpass holding poster board reading, my body, my choice. To give you a sense of some of the hostility in the area, One morning at at breakfast at a restaurant with a couple of priests, we noticed two men in the outdoor seating area. They had a large dog. It was a really beautiful dog and well-behaved. And as we stood to leave, one of the priests approached the two other patrons and began to say, I love your dog. One of the other men began waving the priest away and said, move along. The priest thought the man was trying to prevent the dog from being startled, which caused that man to say, No, not the dog. We don't like you. Move along. The most noteworthy experience was the group of 30-some protesters who showed up outside the church where the Archbishop of San Francisco was celebrating Mass for the conference. Listening to people who live there, I guess, wherever the good archbishop goes, protesters find their way to disrupt things. Among some ugly things and cheap accusations, the protesters were chanting over and over outside, we rebuke you, Catholic Church, and abortion on demand without apology. Abortion on demand without apology. Now think about that. That is really sick. As if abortion is as inconsequential as going to CVS for aspirin or 7-Eleven for an IC, without apology. The dynamic nature of our gift of freedom and the call to live moral life in God contains within it the power to become saints reigning together with God, or to become degenerate practitioners of the worst evils. God's ways are not too mysterious, we learn from the book of Deuteronomy. He has come near, taking on our flesh, to show us our dignity and to open the path for healing and eternal life. We have to cooperate and discipline our unruly nature. God loves each of those people I saw in California, and the thousands more they likely represent, just as he loves you and I and all creation. Those and so many other souls who are locked in secular ideology and who stand in opposition to Judeo-Christian moral truth, they are loved by God too. His ways are not too far for them to grasp. But they need living examples of such obedience. God has given his law on stone tablets once in history. But our world needs living tablets, like us, believers, to show the way to live God's commands. May we find a renewed drive to combat our sins and to live in the healing that our Good Samaritan offers us. And may our way of life help to serve as light so that a very wounded world and troubled souls can find the medicine of eternal life.